This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you gotta grow up sometime. Libby, this is this might be the one where I turned the corner on this show. How so? <laughs> I just I was I was watching it and realizing I was having a good time just watching it. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and and then I was like, oh, I, I mean, I was still taking notes, but at the same time, I was like, oh, this is this is fun. This is a weird strange sort of fun so you're invested now you're in deep i gotta find out what happens with jt and glory let me tell you dude you are not prepared for what (laughs) is gonna happen over the next several episodes i mean just (laughs) you have no idea it it, it takes such a turn so Uh fast (laughs) oh wow okay oh i can't wait i cannot wait to record the next like three episodes with you and just see just watch you melt down it's gonna watch, be so good. watch me have a slow devolve. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I got my vaccine on Wednesday. Congratulations! Did Thank you, you? Are you a two shotter or you? Uh, was it the Johnson Johnson? It was the Johnson Johnson, just one shot. How long before you can be around people? Um, it's supposed to be fifteen days until I have pretty good immunity, and then like twenty eight days until it's considered fully protective. So okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's gonna be great. I can't wait. I'm so sick of just being alone in my house with just Uh my husband who won't stop talking and who will not watch Swan's Crossing with me, by the way. What? He refuses. He watched a couple episodes and he was like, this is stupid. I can't handle it. I was like, that's why you should watch it because it is stupid. It is stupid. And that is the whole point. (laughs) It's the whole point. Oh, hey, you know what? We have social media now. So before we get into it, I'm going to drop this at the top of the episode. First of all, I think even though our sound quality is still not great because we are still recording things remotely in the pandemic, uh, I am working on getting better sound equipment for both of us. I hope people will like us and subscribe on podcasts because I feel like we're solid enough now on the format of the show that I'm confident in saying like and subscribe. Like, so subscribe, that. review. Are reviews still a thing? Yeah, reviews are still a still thing. Does that still help us? Yeah, that okay. helps. Review us, please. Only five-star reviews or we'll dye your hair brown so that everyone will know how poor you are. Uh, that's a reference for future episodes. And uh, Twitter, we are at Gotta Grow Up Pod. And um, go see some of the interesting people who follow our account there. I'm not going to say anything more than that, but I am bragging a little bit. Nya, nya, nya. On Instagram, we are at Swans Cross Pod. And if you want to email us to tell us your Swans Crossing memories and or to share any of your observations about the show, that is gotta grow up pod at gmail.com, I think. Or did I actually hang on? Let me just double check that because because I this is all we're off to a great start with our social medias. Everything we do is uh stupid and half-assed and still has better better production values than Swans Crossing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Correction. Now- our our email address is 
swanscrossingpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Swanscrossingpod at gmail.com. <laughs> and if if we get enough followers, we might, I don't know, we could set up a Patreon or something if people want to support what we're doing here. Yeah, that that'd thing? be cool. You know what I really want to do? We, I'm sure we're going to have a lot because there's so many wonderful musically talented people out there. What I will do is if we get a thousand followers, if we get a thousand subscribers, and if those people send me themselves singing the Swans Crossing uh, theme song or like playing it on instruments, I will make a compilation video of all the Swans Crossing fans singing Gotta Grow Up Sometime and I will post it all over the internet. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we're going to dangle this. I want this. Tell your friends, tell them to get out their ironic ukuleles, their penny whistles, their triangles, which we will talk about today. Tell them to sing. Their Casios. Their Casios that don't make any sound, but you just plunk on it with your hands. Tell them to dress in their best 90s gear and make videos of themselves performing Gotta Grow Up Sometime. I will do the editing. We will make a glorious fan tribute, all of us together, to the greatest TV show of all time. Swans Crossing. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, just in case people were wondering what it was, it is Swans Crossing. Yes, it is Swans Crossing. Uh, and by the way, <laughs> here's another way we suck at producing podcasts. We haven't even said the name of the podcast, Nathan. <laughs> Ever? Well, well, no, not in this episode. The oh, name- okay, in this episode. The name of- <laughs> <laughs> it was like, we, we, this is our fourth episode. Have we not said the name of the podcast? <laughs> okay, the name of the podcast is Gotta Grow Up Sometime. I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. And we have gotten way too invested in this stupid, insane soap opera for teenagers set in 1992. I'm, I'm over the cliff, folks. I'm, <laughs> I'm diving in. Here we all, go. All the way over the cliff. Okay. At the end of episode three, Nathan, you made some predictions about what would happen in episode four. As a refresher, here they are. You thought Callie will be more prominent in this episode with Garrett setting her up to use her against Sydney. You predicted that a dinner party would happen with boxes of stuff everywhere. You thought Garrett would feed Glory a load of crap about Mila and uh, would manage to get seen with Callie by Sydney so that Sydney will think Callie is Mila. You predicted that JT and Neil have broken into a secret government data center and the two people who we saw at the end of last episode, the shadowy figures, will abduct them. And you also predicted, for some reason, that Owen is sick with a rare disease. Well, we didn't see him at all last episode, so I figured there had to be a reason. And I gotta say, overall, pretty good predictions. The Owen one, not great. (laughs) Not great, but we do see Owen first thing. As the episode opens with Owen and Sandy, like, rehearsing or screwing around musically or something, Um, Sandy is holding a triangle but isn't playing it, and Owen is plunking on his keyboard again with no sound emanating from it. Well, and the thing that I love about that is at the very top of the episode, they are jamming to this music. Uh, Stacy's line, I believe, is, this band really wails, which is wonderful. (laughs) And they're just dancing around. And then Owen sits down and starts plunking on his keyboard, but nothing changes. What? It's not like he's adding to the music, which is wonderful. Why does Owen do this so often? It happens frequently. Right? I mean, we see later that the triangle actually works. Why can't the keyboard also work? So Owen says, weren't you and Sydney supposed to go to the movies tonight? And Sandy says... Sydney thinks me and a check have a lot in common. We're both always getting canceled. Is is this Whoa. a rich people thing? Canceling checks constantly? 
I think not. Probably I, not. I don't know. <laughs> Unless they're talking about like when a is a check canceled once it goes through the bank and they put the thing on it and you get back your canceled checks. I I remember I, this from the from the eighties and nineties where like the bank would like save your checks and then would oh, give yeah. them all back to you. I don't remember enough about checks. I mean, checks kind of stopped being a thing in the late 90s, early 2000s, more or less. I mean, they still exist, obviously. We still use them for some things, but they really fell out of favor as a payment method then. So I don't, I cannot remember check lore, really, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Okay. Owen commences to play some sort of drum riff, and Sandy plays the triangle on the one and the three, which is hilarious to me, and I don't know why. It's just ping. Ping. Like, this is what their band consists of. It's just percussion, and one of their instruments is the triangle. And this is, to me, one of my favorite things, is that this is quote-unquote practicing. <laughs> this is, incidentally, Paul, my husband, uh, went to state during high school with his percussion ensemble, but he played the triangle in, <laughs> in, what they, in the piece that they took to the state competition. So we laugh about this all the time still because the triangle is an absurd instrument and it's hilarious that he went to state playing triangle. <laughs> it truly is amazing. There are so many instruments I feel like can make the noise that a triangle makes. I mean, even just like things in your kitchen can substitute for a triangle. <laughs> It's great. Uh, so then we cut to Sydney, who's walking around the set for her house, which is just that one room full of boxes and drop cloths. Uh, she's looking for the fancy dishes so that she can have her dinner party. So, I mean, your 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 prediction was pretty much on there. The dinner party yep. is going to happen, and apparently it's going to happen in this gigantic mess. Yeah, and she she's on the she's on the cordless phone. At the end of the phone call, she gets she switches to the fancy corded phone just to say goodbye. <laughs> Oh, and it's straight up, like, she switches from the Zach Morris cell phone. Like, that is a cellular phone. And yeah, then she picks up the, like, princess-style landline. She's like, hold on, I'm switching phones. Picks up the phone just to say goodbye to her mom or whoever. And this means the cell phone and the landline are the same phone number. Like, they use the same phone number. I don't think that technology is available now, let alone in 1992. Unless, is this a rich people thing? Oh, is this a rich people thing? I, must I think be. it might be. Well, the doorbell rings, Sandy goes to get it, and knocks an obviously empty box on top of Ralph, who falls over and yells, Oh, crumbs! It's wonderful. It's truly wonderful, this moment, because it doesn't look to me, and I watched the footage a couple times, <laughs> it doesn't look to me like Sydney actually touches the box. Yeah, it, it, I'm not sure how they get it to fall on him. I guess that's movie magic, but... I think he pulls it down on himself <laughs> from underneath the table. You can't see it, but it's intended to look like Sydney accidentally knocks the box on top of Ralph, but she's nowhere near it, and it's wonderful. It's truly wonderful. Oh, crumbs indeed. So uh, it's revealed that Garrett ding-dong ditched her, but he left a single red rose on her doorstep with a note that says... Have fun tonight. And it is accompanied by terrible synth piano music, which is just the best. Of it's so it good. Is. Oh, like, God. Sydney comes back in with the rose, and it's like... <laughs> and then we see Garrett hiding in the bushes outside Sydney's house. Like, she's already closed the door, so I don't know what he's looking at. And there he delivers his immortal catchphrase... 
Ooh, I love myself. He also, to my knowledge, closes his lips for the first time in the series. He does, like, he rocks that smarmy grin real mm-hmm. hard. I love it. Yeah. Uh, we see Glory getting ready for the dinner party, and she is wearing the iconic good girl look of the early 90s, a, a look which I wore to church every single Sunday, which is a black T-length dress with big grandma floral print. And she is trying on progressively higher heels. Oh, <laughs> yes. They're they're going from flats to like what an inch, inch and a half, maybe on yeah. that last pair. Uh, and each each of them, it's it's actually a really great example of show don't tell because there's no dialogue in this scene. She's just trying on progressively higher heeled shoes until she gets the one that she likes, which is the last one. But she struggles a little bit to get into them. Yeah. So. It's the victory. It's the satisfaction of victory by getting into these shoes. It is pretty cute. And then, and then she puts on this weird silk shawl with a long fringe, which is, which is a thing I wear now as a middle-aged woman and not a thing any teenage girl in the early nineties would have touched with a 10 foot pole. I love it. However, we cut to JT and he's wearing exactly what I wore to everything fancy in the nineties. I'm not going to lie. I think JT looks pretty dope. Like JT is wearing jeans, yes, and a button down and a tie. But that tie is really cool. It's like plaid and sort of washed out colors. And later on, when he's actually at the dinner party, he has this absolutely enormous khaki blazer. But it works. Like the outfit really works. There's not there aren't many looks from the '90s that I think still hold up today. But this is one of them. Like I would wear the hell out of this right now for like a retro menswear vibe. It's really good. And- and the the jacket, once the jacket went on, I was sold. Before the jacket, I was like, this feels like something I would have worn and gotten made fun of a lot to something <laughs> fancy. Because all of the women around me were in these gorgeous dresses, and I was there in, like, jeans and a button-down. That's awesome. Gosh. He gets all the way dressed, and then he spots, uh, like, spray, like aerosol spray deodorant sitting on his dresser. And, and, and I don't think spray-on deodorant still exists. It might. Um, but I remember my dad used it. It was like, it was his fave thing back then. I remember getting it, like, it, under his pits. It does still exist. Oh, it does my God. Still exist. But yeah. I love that he sees his deodorant and he says, hosed! <laughs> so he like, has to take off his rad tie in order to unstink himself. Ah, oh, yep. puberty and body odor. The struggle is real. Yep, you gotta do it. I, I do have to say, I appreciate Swan's Crossing making an effort to remind young men that they do need to wear deodorant. Yes, for the love of God. It's important. <laughs> I, was a, I, I was a camp counselor and then assistant director of a summer camp for several years running. And my God, please wear deodorant. Mm-hmm. Please, boys. Oh. And girls, too. The girls' cabins got just as stinky as the boys' cabins. Woof. Woof. <laughs> we cut to the park where Jimmy is sitting with his back dreamily against his mini bike. And someone in a leather jacket and helmet zooms by on a bike of their own, and Jimmy stares after as if he's just seen his future flash before his eyes. And I also, before we move on from this, no one leans against their motorcycle (laughs) while sitting. That's gonna fall over. As a person who has 
owned several motorcycles. This looks ridiculous because you can you can sit on a motorcycle when it's on its kickstand and can sort of lean up against it from the the opposite side of the kickstand, but Jimmy is sitting on the ground leaning backwards in the opposite direction of the kickstand. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> And I'm like, what is happening? You're going to knock your bike over. Uh, and there's no explanation for that scene and no further development. Just Jimmy inspired by the presence of a fellow mini biker. And then, bam, we're right into the title sequence. Right. And we get four more fake swans in the title sequence, as we usually do. There they are. It should also be noted that because the motorbike is not the same model as Jimmy's, we know it's not Garrett that he's watching zoom past him. Yeah, I mean, especially know it's not Garrett because after the title sequence is done, we're outside Swan Soda Shop where Garrett is just like sitting on his bike, hanging out outside the restaurant and ogling girls as they walk by and Jimmy rides up. Like a creeper. He describes the encounter as some pretty fine wheel work from a girl, which seems to be a big deal. And he says to... Garrett, you haven't seen a girl who can cut a fine line like that, have you? <laughs> like, she literally just rode past him. She didn't do anything fancy. She just rode her bike down the road, and he's like, oh my god! Garrett, like, will not believe that it was a girl riding a motorcycle, because girls do not do that in Swan's Crossing world, apparently. Mm -hmm. Jimmy then decides he's going to pursue the girl on his bike, because again, if there's one thing girls love, it's being hunted at high speeds by boys like gazelles on the African savanna being hunted by lions. This is this is Jimmy's plan because he asks Garrett, you up for the chase? Like, he's trying to enlist Garrett in chasing after a girl on, <laughs> on their motorcycles. Two men, two, two boys chasing after a woman on their motorcycles. Really an all-around win situation for everyone. Great plan, guys. I mean, fortunately, we, the viewers, know that it's Callie, and I'm not too worried because Callie could slam both of these dudes in the nards and drop them in their tracks without even thinking about it. We cut over to Neil. I think he's in JT's bedroom, but JT's not there. I'm not sure if this is Neil's room or JT's room because the sets look very similar, uh, if not identical. This could be this could be Neil's room because it looks exactly like JT's room. There's even a hammock. Do they both sleep in? hammocks i don't know i'm not i mean i think it's jt's room but i'm not sure because jt's just not there and neil's just over there right which made me wonder does neil just like go hang out in jt's house when jt's not there i guess so i mean i i suppose you could use the excuse that they it's 1992 and JT has a computer and not everybody could afford personal computers back then, but also Neil's family is rich as hell. They could afford right. a computer if they wanted to. Right. And Neil's dad is the one funding their rocket research, so one would think that he'd want them to have all the processing power that they needed. Right. So anyway, um, Neil is doing that thing that's not actually typing or even anything close to typing, and we can hear his internal thoughts where he's sort of musing about he and how he and JT might be able to facilitate their sciencing if they can create a persona for this joint endeavor, kind of like a pen name for procuring chemicals. Right. And they settle... Oh, wait. They don't settle on the name quite yet, right? That no, comes that's, later in the episode. That's later. But but Neil sort of realizes he needs to be about 35, specialist in subatom subatomic particles and quantum physics. Right. Absolutely. And then he calls JT on the weirdest mobile phone I've ever seen. Okay, wait. We got to get into this because I think 
I think that's a two-way radio. I think it's a handset for like a walkie-talkie type thing. That was what I thought too, but it goes to JT's pager. Okay, for the listeners at home, here's the sequence of what happens. Neil picks up the thing that kind of looks like a handset for a two-way radio, pulls out its antenna, flips open the mouthpiece, and just starts yelling into it, JT! 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 And then we cut to the, the dinner scene at Sydney's house, where JT's pager goes off. So either this is a phone or it's a radio, but regardless, it operates by Neil yelling JT's name into it and it pages him. I want that in my life. I want to just be able to yell people's names and have buzzers on their belts go off. (laughs) So great. What a great technology. I mean, maybe that's exactly what this thing is. Maybe this is a rich people thing. Is this how rich people communicate with each other? I think so. I think so. Oh, yeah. So JT's beeper is back, folks. I'm so excited about that. Uh, do you think Neil has ever paged JT with 80085 because it spells boobs? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Neil undoubtedly has not done that because he is a nascent gay man just waiting to fully embrace his true self. Uh, he would never want to remind JT that girls exist because girls are the bane of his existence. So right, right. The never mind. I don't. I didn't have any. I didn't have anything. I had a thing, and then it was gone out of my brain. Sorry, I probably let's leave this in the podcast. Definitely, let's, let's definitely leave it, listeners. What messages do you think Neil has sent to JT on his pager? Contact us on social media to tell us. <laughs> I'm really pushing the social media thing today. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so Neil is initially mad that he can't reach JT, but then he sees his computer screen flashing with security breach, illegal access, and he's super stoked about this. I can't but figure out But this time it's got waving things going through it, like when you couldn't get the signal with your TV antenna. Oh, yeah. I think the implication that we're supposed to take from this is that they are breaking through the security. That was where oh. I was going oh. with that. That that makes more sense than him. Our, to, sorry, go ahead. For our younger listeners, you used to have antenna on a television that would pick up signals through the air, and you had to adjust your antenna if you wanted the best signal, and sometimes you'd get these wavy lines if you were not getting good television signal. Yes. And uh, I apologize for you just hearing Paul yelling in the background just now. He keeps forgetting that I am recording the world's most important podcast during this time. Absolutely. And now I'm getting a phone call. Give me just a second. Okay. While Nathan's taking his phone call. Gotta grow up. Gotta grow up. Gotta grow up sometime. Oh, he's back. We're back to the dinner party. Ralph has put Sydney's single red rose into a bud vase, and there are candles everywhere on all the dust-covered furniture. Nathan, you were right! There is going to be a dinner party amid all the boxes in disorder of Sydney's home! And there's candles on all of these cardboard boxes! What are you doing, Ralph? (laughs) Do not let this child burn down the house that they've lived in for four generations, Ralph! Oh, crumbs, indeed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Nathan, you were so disturbed by the candles that you actually emailed me about it while you were watching the episode. I was so bothered. Oh. <laughs> I love the emails you send me while you're watching Swan's Crossing. <laughs> They're just in all caps. They are. All my emails about Swan's Crossing are in all caps. 
Sydney gets mad at JT because he ignores the place cards. I wonder why you need place cards for a dinner party with only three people. That's a great question. <laughs> also, it was at this point that I noticed for the first time, because we don't really see it in the opening scene with JT, JT has a black eye from his fight with Garrett. Oh yeah, he's got a total shiner on one eye. Yeah. And Sydney actually brings up the fact that JT and Garrett had that fight and um JT wants to change the subject subject so Sydney immediately shifts to talking about Mila, which is the whole reason for the dinner party and the only reason she's interested in talking to these two people, also known as only interested in talking to Glory. JT is only there to get Glory in the room. Yeah. JT is a lure so that Glory will be there and spill her guts, which is so funny to me. Also, Sydney suavely pretends like she can't remember Mila's name because she cares so little about the new girl. She says, what was her name? Nina? Fila? Fila is not a name, but rather a brand of shoe. Uh, and I remember Fila's being really popular with rich kids at some point when I was a teenager, maybe 1992. Um, but I couldn't remember when, so I looked up when the shoe company was founded, thinking it might be like 1989 or something. You want to guess when Fila's came onto the scene? Was it 1992? It was 1911. What? I know. Is your mind blown? <laughs> it really hit its heyday in the 90s. Yeah. You know, you stick around for 80 years, eventually you're going to make bank. Let this be a lesson to you folks. The long haul wins in the end. Hang in there. Sydney's super desperate for information about Mila, and Glory says, well, let's wait till after dinner. And Sydney's like, no, tell me now. And they seem to be... Glory's a little bit worried about ruining the meal that they're having because the food is so delicious. But when you watch them actually eat, the very few times that they put things in their mouths, it looks like they are eating some sort of incredibly dry cracker. Yeah, it's like that um, those Gardetto's Chex Mix kind of things that were really popular again in the 90s. Like I remember getting these out of the vending machine at, in high school. They're like little tiny cracker breads. <laughs> Yep, so and <laughs> it is obvious that they may have needed to do multiple takes, so they were like, you know what, let's not worry about things that could appear to have been eaten, let's just keep refilling the crackers. Yep. So what Garrett told Glory is this, Mila is tall with long dark hair and she's really pretty, and Sydney looks disturbed when, <laughs> when Glory says she's pretty. Very disturbed. And we're not able to linger on that very long because we immediately cut to Garrett finding Callie. She's the motorcyclist, the, the mystery motorcyclist. He seems very disturbed that someone has seen her. And he's like, someone saw you. And she's like, so? What is wrong with you, you weirdo? Yeah, he like tracks her down. He follows her back to the sub. And he's like, someone saw you in town. And she's like, big deal. Two things I have to note before we go on, though, because she rides her motorcycle back to the sub and like parks it on the dock, which must mean that she got her motorcycle off the sub in the first place, like when she first showed up in Swan's Crossing. Where is she storing a motorcycle on a sub and how is she getting it on and off the vessel? This is very It's not like you can put that down a hatch, really. Maybe she purchased it. At Swan's Crossing. Maybe it is a brand new oh. motorcycle to her. I can justify anything. I'm in theater. It's what I do. <laughs> that is possible. You are professional theater man. I'm a professional theater man. Also, we can see the name of the sub painted on its hull. The name is Leda, L-E-D-A. Uh, Nathan, are you familiar with where this name comes from? No. Okay, because this is 
a reference to swans by way of Greek mythology. Oh my gosh. And therefore, I think this should count as an honorary, like this should go into the swan tally. The swan All right, swan tally. tally it is. Um, for those who don't know, which I guess includes Nathan, here is the, the terrifying story of, of Leda from Greek mythology. She was a princess who was seduced by Zeus while he was in the form of a swan. And after she had sex with this random bird she met, she laid two eggs, and from those eggs hatched Helen of Troy and the twins Castor and Pollux. So that's kind of weird. Wow. Yeah. Hey, have you seen that swan over there? That swan is, like, making eyes at me. That swan's pretty hot. I don't know. Like, Is, is it just me, or has that swan got, like, a real smolder going on? That, I'm getting I, hot and bothered by that, that swan's, swan. He's definitely hitting on you. That swan fucks. <laughs> That's the title of this episode. There it is. <laughs> it's the Nathan, and I knew you were the right man to do this podcast with. Yeah, so anyway, the reason why Garrett is mad that Callie was seen is because she's not supposed to be back in town until tomorrow, which is the 4th of July. And if anyone sees her in town before then, all his scheming to make people believe she's Mila will be for naught. Oh, no! Ah! So then we cut back to the very tense, very weird dinner party, and Sydney is still grilling Glory for the deets on Mila. And uh, Glory says that Garrett told her Mila is special, and Sydney wants to know what that means exactly. And then Glory says, she has something special about her that you just can't get from being brought up in a small American town. Because Swan's Crossing is totally a normal town. Right. Yeah. This is what most American towns look like. Definitely the way they all operate, too. Oh my God. JT is clearly bored out of his skull. I don't know if you noticed the acting he was serving up in the scene, but I loved it. I loved his work. He's just sitting there, like, poking and prodding at all the weird decorations that Sydney laid out. Oh, it's great. The more that I watch the JT and Glory storyline, the more invested I become. It is weird. You are really into JT and Glory. I love that. Um, I'm shipping them so hard. <laughs> well, speaking of JT, uh, I, he's played by Tom Carroll, and I I didn't find a lot of information about Tom Carroll, but I liked his acting so much in this scene. It was so, like, subtly comedic uh, that I was like, oh, I gotta find out what else he's done. So I, I looked him up, and I didn't find much. Um, he graduated in 97 from Vassar with a double major in English and film, and he actually went out to Dublin for a while to study film out there, which is cool. And then, this is adorable, it sounds like he and all the boys from Swan's Crossing remained really close friends, like, into their 20s. And um, we're roommates together in New York and Hollywood, and we're, like, going on auditions together and stuff and, like, trying to build up their career uh, as actors on stage and in film. Uh, That's awesome! Yeah, including Tom. He was among them. So uh, I didn't really uncover anything else about what Tom has done since then, but wherever you are, Tom Carroll, I hope you're living your best life and having a great time. If you're Tom Carroll, get at us on social media. Oh, please do. I want to talk to you. Love you so much. Okay, so Glory says that Garrett called Mila mature, which Sydney says that she's like, oh, what does that mean? She has wrinkles? Like, yeah, a fucking 16-year-old is full of wrinkles, Sydney. And then she describes her, she's built like, she's built a lot like you, only more so. (laughs) And Sydney's like, what does that mean? And And JT is like, woo, and he makes some, like, curvy lady motions with his hands. It is so weird. He, like, mimes breasts in the air with his hands. It is so wonderful. 
That's so and funny. it is at this point that I noticed that the fax machine is on the dinner table adjacent to the fondue <laughs> pot. Oh my god. Uh, Glory oh. says Mila has a taste for fine things with an exotic flair, and Garrett uh, told her that Mila's favorite color is the same as Sydney's red. And then we get this dramatic reaction shot from Sydney. She is so unsettled by another girl liking red. I love it's amazing. It. It's like a long, slow take to the camera. Like, this is the worst news she could have received. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> okay, um, so we're back outside the sub. Garrett and Callie are serving up some heavy flirting vibes here. This is some intense eye contact from Garrett, and it reads very sexual. Like, in a way that makes me slightly uncomfortable because these characters are supposed to be, like, 14, and this is not the way normal 14-year-old boys behave. Yeah, it is It is uncomfortably sexual from both of them, frankly. They are really laying it on, and it's wonderful. Yeah, and, like, I was... It's not the first time... I mean, obviously, you've... you've this is the first time you've watched Swan's Crossing. I've watched it a few times, and several other points throughout the series, I got, like, really overloaded by, like, the horny intensity that Shane McDermott puts into Garrett when he's interacting with the female characters. And I just was like, where did he get this from? Because I, I, Shane, I think, was 16 when they filmed Swan's Crossing, and no 16-year-old has that kind of, like, sexy sophistication when flirting oh definitely not we are feeling all of those sexy hormones yeah but we have no idea what to do with them no you definitely don't know to make like really intense eye contact with girls and like say things all slow and flirtatious so i was like where did he learn this from because this is this is not natural behavior for <laughs> for a boy of that age so i set out to learn a, a thing or two about shane mcdermott i actually found a really great interview he did on another podcast called my so-called whatever where he told the two hosts uh who it's kind of a podcast about like 90s ephemera he told the two hosts that he basically grew up watching soaps with his mom like that was just how they bonded together and spent time together was his mom would watch soaps and he would like hang out and watch them with her so um that's kind of cute First of all, it's adorable that this little boy like watched all my children or whatever with his mom. And aside from like a couple of commercials and one very hilarious anti-drug PSA, Swan's Crossing was Shane's first acting experience. This is the first time he ever had lines and really had to work stuff like connecting to another actor. And you can definitely feel the influence of the soaps he watched on his acting style. Like this is shaping Garrett's character from his memories of male soap stars who were much older and much more mature than Garrett Booth. Right. And certainly would, if that's what you grew up watching, obviously that would affect the way you play the role. Because that's acting. That's yeah. what acting is. Yeah, exactly. It's great, though. I mean, it, it works. Like, this intensity works really well for Garrett, and I can see why it made a lot of 12-year-old girls in 1992 be like, oh, Garrett! But um, it is deeply uncomfortable to watch as an adult. I'm like, why is this 14-year-old acting like he fucks? <laughs> <laughs> So weird. 
Okay, so Callie explains that she and her dad just made another quick pit stop in Swan's Crossing before they take off again tomorrow, and they will be back for the 4th of July. Captain Walker honks the whistle of the sub, which is not a thing. Subs do not (laughs) have whistles like that. I would think not. No, uh, Paul is very quick to point that out to me. For those listeners who don't know this, my husband Paul uh, served for a long time in the Coast Guard, so he knows a lot of things about various vessels, and the few episodes of Swan's Crossing I made him watch, he was like, that's not how subs work. <laughs> he was very upset about the submarine inaccuracy. I would really love to be there when you make Paul watch an episode. Hey, how about this? As bonus content, if we get enough subscribers, oh. we bring Paul on. Paul has to watch one episode. Oh, okay. If we get enough subscribers to justify a Patreon, the bonus content will be we'll have at least a couple of I'll make Paul watch all the sub heavy eps and he will rant about maritime inaccuracies. <laughs> it's very funny. He, he really gets into it. So uh, Garrett Garrett's like, okay, well, you'll be back tomorrow for the celebration. She's like, yes. And he says, show up at six tomorrow and wear something red so he can spot her in the crowd, right? Right. This is a terrible and... idea. It's the 4th of July. Everyone will be wearing red, white, or blue. Right, they right. They should have gone with like turquoise or hot pink or something. Obviously. There was enough turquoise and hot pink in the 90s going around to clothe everybody. Oh, for sure. It would have been easy to pull off. Back at the dinner party from hell, uh, JT tries to change the subject because we're all sick of hearing about Mila by now. Glory hesitates and then blurts out, Garrett says Mila has the best legs of anyone under 21. (laughs) It's amazing. And this causes Sydney to choke on a salmon bone. (laughs) She has a coughing fit. And I think I did too. (laughs) Best legs of anyone under 21. And then she darts out to make a phone call. Sydney leaves the table to make a phone call because she's so disturbed by this. And then this scene is actually really cute between JT and Glory because he's JT is like expressing his lack of interest in Mila. And he like moves in close to Glory. There's all this like intense saxophone music. <laughs> and... He, like, really is very sweet in the way that he describes his type, uh, because it's it's glory, obviously. And as they're, like, moving in to almost kiss again, he's paged by Neil. (laughs) It is, it's a very cute scene. And this is much more, this feels much more real for a teenage boy. It's it's cute. He's trying to make his move. He's awkward. He's unsure of himself, but he's going to go for it anyway. And yeah, right before their lips touch fucking neil pages him again fucking neil and it is at this point that i realized that jt has had his napkin tucked into his collar the entire scene i noticed that too my notes say he has his napkin tucked into the collar of his shirt like a total dweeb like as he's going in for a kiss the napkin is coming with him (laughs) it's amazing and then he stands up to take the phone call i can't remember if he even takes the napkin out at that point i don't think he does it's amazing So he goes to, he's about to kiss this girl that he's totally attracted to, and he leaves to answer the page. And then Glory turns to the camera and gives it this really sad smolder. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And that sax music is going on the whole time, too. I love it. And then we we see Sydney, who's, like, hiding in a corner behind a bunch of boxes, talking on the phone to Sandy, begging her to come over. What is with Sydney's weird codependence on Sandy? Why does she need Sandy around her, like, all the time? 
I think what it is, this is the the theory that I'm working with after this episode, is that Sandy is Sydney's person that she calls over when Sydney wants to feel better about herself. Oh, yeah, probably. Right? Anytime Sydney is feeling uh, insecure, Sandy is the person who makes her feel secure because Sydney's life may be, you know, all at sevens and sixes, but at least she's not Sandy. Oh, Nathan, just you wait. Remember you said that many episodes from now. I can't fucking wait. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. Okay. Uh, Sydney's begging Sandy to help her find something to wear to the big town party the next day so she can outshine Mila. Which is interesting. Like, I know, like, I agree with you what you just said, that Sandy is, like, what Sydney uses to get her confidence back because she's like, at least I'm not Sandy. But also, Sandy is famously poor, in air quotes, and dresses like a schlub most of the time in, like, sweatpants and cut-off sweatshirts and overalls. So why would you be trying to get fashion advice from Sandy Swan? That's a great question. I I know exactly why. It's because we have not yet been introduced to the character of Nancy. (laughs) Nancy's a better choice for this role, but she hasn't shown up yet. Then one of my favorite moments in all of the early episodes happens. Sandy says she can't come over because she and Owen are rehearsing. And then she plays the song they're practicing so Sydney can hear it over the phone. And it's just this endless repetition of never give up, never give up, over and over. And Sydney keeps trying to break in and Sandy won't let her. She just keeps singing. The eye rolls from Sarah Michelle Gellar are truly priceless. She's sitting surrounded. She's framed in the shot by boxes. There's boxes all around her and she's on her mobile phone, her enormous brick mobile phone. And she's just could not be rolling her eyes any harder. It's amazing. And every time she's like, okay, but that's great. I'll hear it later. And whenever she opens her mouth it's never give up never give up and it's like sandy and owen are mocking her i love it so much (laughs) those are the only lyrics to the song i want to be very clear about that that is all that it is (laughs) they had to rehearse that real hard (laughs) Uh yeah Oh, oh, also, the huge brick cell phone that Sandy is using has white polka dots painted all over it. And they're really sloppy. It looks like someone did it with, like, whiteout or something. I did not notice that. All right. Sandy informs Sydney that uh, she and Owen are doing backups for the band Roxanne, who's playing at the celebration tomorrow. Roxanne was a real band, y'all, in the late 80s. They were kind of a one-hit wonder. Uh, They did a cover of Play That Funky Music in 1988. And I love this detail so much that Roxanne couldn't catch a break after they had one Billboard hit. And now they have to play some rinky-dink 4th of July party in a shitty rich people town with a bunch of teenagers for backup vocalists. (laughs) I bet they're getting paid really well for it, though. Probably. And Sandy does specify that she's playing the fucking triangle for Roxanne. It's so great. Oh, great line. Speaking of triangles, great line from Sydney. She says, don't even talk to me about triangles. At least yours is easy. All it does is ping. And then, to drive home the point, we get a little ping sound effect in the background. Neil's on the phone with JT. He says, hey, we need a name for our, our alter ego here. And, and they decide to name the the identity Professor Van. And I am not, I was not clear about what this was based on. Can you explain this to me? 
Yeah, it is. It goes by very fast, and it's hard to catch the first couple times you watch it. So Neil says, remember that nerd of the universe, Stevie Van? Like, first of all, Neil's one to talk about nerd of the universe. And JT says, yeah, he used to follow you around like white on rice. So this is, first of all, following someone around like white on rice, not something people say. Apparently, JT and Neil used to bully their fellow nerd... Stevie Van by calling him Professor Van because he thought he knew more than Neil. And then Neil airily says, we both know that wasn't possible. Okay, Einstein, settle yeah. down there. <laughs> You're brilliant. And we get this stupid split screen effect where they see the moment when they both realize that Professor Van should be the name for their pen name. They say a bunch of things about neurons firing and they can complete each other's sentences. And it's just so obvious to me that JT needs to be with Neil needs to be with Neil forever, not with Glory. So I'm sorry, Nathan. I know you ship JT and Glory. I ship JT and Neil. Either one, I think, would be a great outcome. Neil is very satisfied, and he settles into the computer chair and stares at the computer with his hands folded and an evil patient expression reminiscent of Mr. Burns. It's beautiful. It is. And then we're back to the dinner party, and Sydney comes back in from her phone call with Sandy and just kicks Neil and Glory out just as dessert is about to be served. Oh, yeah. Robert uh, was about to set fire to the baked Alaska. She fucking throws her guests out of the house. Yep. She's essentially kicking them out as soon as she has the information she wanted from Glory. It's oh, unbelievable. Oh, and then so JT's like, hey, Glory, let's go to the soda shop and get a float for dessert. And Sydney says, she can't. I need you to get a message to Garrett for me. Dude, she lives with Garrett. There's no rush. She'll see him when they're like brushing their teeth before bed. Come on. Right? But let JT take Glory to Swans. Somebody let JT and Glory hang out. God, just let them kiss for once. But Glory gives in like a wimp and says she'll get a float with JT tomorrow. And JT's all salty because Garrett got in the way of him copping a feel. But he's been letting Neil get in Glory's way forever now. So what's he got to complain about? Good point. Uh, Sydney says, well, you probably have some science problems to work out. Uh, and, and then JT's like, at the moment, there is no problem, but... And then we cut to the two white guys in turbans who <laughs> seem to be running a trace on their security breach. Yeah. And so far, they have narrowed it down <laughs> to the entire continent of North, Central, and South America. It's the whole Western Hemisphere. Good job, you guys. They've really narrowed it down. Also... They're talking in their weird, like, made-up racist language, but the display that says security breach is in English, so I love that. Yeah. Now it's the morning of the 4th, Sydney is waiting at No Man's Land for Garrett to show up, and he does! And he surprises her. He does, they her. have a scene together. And he tells her, he can tell something's bothering her, and she admits that she's worried about his relationship with Mila. And then she says, when you were in France with Mila, did you really like her? And he goes, I'm back, aren't I? Which <laughs> like... He came to he came back to help his dad with his cash flow problem, not for Sydney. Right. And he asks, to his credit, he she asks if he's bringing Mila, and he asks if he can take Sydney. Yeah, and she's like, you know, I really wish you could. And he says, weirdly, yeah, I wish for things too. And then he walks off. And, and there's this, like, moment where Sarah Michelle Geller has this, like, thousand-yard stare off <laughs> into the distance. It is it's totally amazing. like deer in headlights. I love it. <laughs> oh. uh, we're back with Neil and JT, which is tedious, and Neil is explaining all the crap he came up with for Professor Van's resume. The coach swings by to ask the boys what they're talking about. 
they just they throw him off the scent by saying they're talking about the fireworks display, which apparently they have been put in charge of. A couple of 14-year-old boys are going to be... And their coach. Yeah, going to handle a bunch of explosives. Okay, uh, we need to go back for just a second, though, yeah. because at the very beginning of this scene, when, when Neil and JT are outside Swans, the back wall behind them is made up of those architectural glass cubes, mm-hmm. which are which are mostly opaque, but you can still sort of see images through them. There are people dancing to the jukebox on the other side of this wall. <laughs> I did not notice I don't know that. if you noticed that, but there is very obviously dancing happening on the other side. Oh my god, there's 24-7 dancing in this town. I don't have many notes on this scene. My most important note says there are so many pleat front khakis in this scene. <laughs> I was very distracted by everyone's pants. The coach says they have to be careful because, quote... Most things in Swan's Crossing are from the Neolithic era. What? Yeah. And then he awkwardly explains, just for the sake of exposition, that every year on the 4th of July, the whole town has to celebrate where someone's ancestor stepped off the boat. Okay, thanks. Uh, uh-huh. Sydney trying on outfits with Sandy. Sandy asks her if Garrett still likes her. And Sydney's like, of course. <laughs> and Sandy remarks on how many clothes Cindy has. Sydney freaks out and says she has nothing. And she's frantically pawing through her closet and trying to, she's like heaping outfits into Sandy's arms. Yeah. Sandy is carrying essentially 12 outfits at this point, And Sydney is carrying nothing, which is amazing. And Sydney then sends... She finds a dress that she likes. It's blue. And she sends Sandy on an errand to find ultra pink blush to match the blue dress because Sydney has to find matching shoes. Sydney says if she does this, she'll be Sandy's best friend. And then Sandy takes to the camera so hard, shaking her head like, I know this isn't true, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why do all the girls in this town put up with Sandy with Sydney's bullshit? Then we see Sandy out on her blush quest. Garrett rides up his motorbike and and Sandy uh, tells him that Sydney's freaking out over Mila. And then there's this totally nonsensical exchange where Sandy says, "What you don't know always hurts." And Garrett says, "If you ain't got the goods, might as well get out of the game." What does that have to do with anything? It is so strange. I was like, this is a complete non sequitur. It's like the it's like we were having a conversation and then someone else took over the typewriter and just sort of spewed out different words. It's so weird. Then Garrett zooms away on his bike and Nathan, will you please describe what happens in the final scene? The next morning, apparently, which is which is funny to me because it seems like we've it seems like we were at the next morning when when Sydney and and uh garrett were talking and then we've jumped back a night to go through the the clothes selection process and then we cut to the next morning where garrett discovers a parrot which is just funny when you say it aloud it has a tag i think we don't actually see the tag but garrett reads off of it if found please return to and then he he gets this big smile on his face and he says if you weren't a bird I'd kiss you. <laughs> Obviously, this parent does not fuck. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and that's it. That's episode four. Oh my yeah. god. I, we are just, we're getting so close to just deep, deep insanity. And I can't wait to see how you react to the next few episodes. So, so Psychopath of the Week. Jimmy. Jimmy's legit trying to hunt a girl in a pack with other boys. That is some crazy behavior. 
You're absolutely right. 100% could not agree more. One hundo. Swan count. We've got the four fake swans from the intro. We've got the Greek swan name, which we're counting. So we have an actual swan count total of 16 for the series. Other swans, 21. Other swans have pulled ahead. Nathan, lay it on me. What are your predictions? So I'm really hoping that we get to the 4th of July celebration in the next episode. I think everyone's going to see Callie and think she's Mila. I think Jimmy's going to discover that she's the biker he's got the hots for. Sydney is going to try to make nice with Callie, thinking she's Mila. Glory and JT, more sax music, which I feel like at this point is a pretty safe bet for every episode. Owen and Sandy doing their performance. Uh, Sydney ruins their performance because she needs all the attention. The bird, I think, belongs to Mila. So that's Garrett's in to actually meet her. And the turbaned dudes get closer to JT and Neil, but they're looking for Professor Van. So that is how JT and Neil escape the wrath of the guys in the turbans. That's what I think. Okay. All right. Well, we will, we will see how accurate you were about your predictions next week when we explore episode five of Swan's Crossing. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you follow us on the social meads, the social meads, as the kids, the kids don't say that. Uh, Twitter. No one says that. No one says that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I regret everything. Twitter at gotta grow up pod, Instagram at Swan's Cross pod, or email us at, what did I say it was? Swans Cross- I don't know. Swan's Crossing pod at gmail.com, I think. Whatever. Just find us on Twitter or Instagram. No one uses email anymore. What are you, 50? Come on. <laughs> well, until next time, uh, bye. bye. We, need a, we need a better sign-off. We, do, we need to come up with an actual sign-off, but this, I, this will have to do for now. We were trying to... <laughs> Sandy, I'll hear it tomorrow. Sandy!